right. Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to see you here today. It's a huge week, huge week. We have Disciple now. You saw that on the video. Um, but there's more. There's more. I would like for you all to just take a moment, and I'd like for you to look down towards the ground just below your feet. That's called carpet. Um, if you have never been here before, this is the first week of carpet in the history of this building. Yeah? Yeah, it's, fir it's first world right there, first world. And so here's what we're gonna do. It may, be, it may seem awkward, but I'm gonna encourage everyone to just lay down and roll around for a while. No, <laughs> don't do that, that would be weird, that'd be weird. Um, but after church, if you wanna roll around, feel free. We're pretty excited about it. Don't spill your coffee though, it's a big deal now. But guys, it is really, truly great to have you guys all here today. Um, this is first world blessing, right? But we had some people that were in third world. So we sent uh, our mission team out about a week ago, eight or nine days ago, something like that. They went to Ethiopia. Uh, they are heading back, I think, in the next 24 to 48 hours, something like that. And they had an amazing time. There were over 5,000 people that came out, Ethiopians that came out to be a part of the services that they had. There were 100 people uh, that, that uh, were baptized. There are 58 people that gave their life to Christ. It was a, an amazing week. So let's give it up for what's going on there. And so you guys do me a favor. Let's do this. Let's get started. We're going to get into the Word today. Um, and I know there was a lot of words up there, but don't worry. We're going to break it down a little bit for you. Let's pray. We're going to get into God's Word. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for the fact that you give us the opportunity to simply be here. God, thank you for the rain that you gave us last night. Thank you for... Um, Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. It is in his name we pray, amen. You know, um, about five years ago, a friend of mine named Don, uh, he called me up and we're good friends, like really good friends. Our families are very close. So we grew, they grew up, to, our kids grew up together. They live near us. And he called and he was like, hey man, I said, he's, we're in trouble. He said, both of my cars are down for the count and I have something, uh, Aaron, an important errand that I have to do can we borrow your car? I was like, absolutely. I trust you completely. Um, I said, I have to go to work, but Rachel said you could use her car. No, no worries. So I go on to work. Uh, he comes over, he gets the car. Rachel and, and her mom head off to do some errands in, in Rachel's mom's car. And, um, and on the way, after finishing the errand, Don stops at a gas station to fill it up with gas. And boys and girls, let me tell you something. This is something that your parents may not have taught you, but if you ever borrow someone's car, it is common courtesy to fill the tank up with gas. It doesn't matter if it's one gallon or 15 gallons, you fill it up. It's just common courtesy, all right? Remember that. Now, he did that. He was very kind, good dude. He fills it up with gas, but it doesn't start. He calls me. He's like, Troy, we got a problem. He said, the, the car, it's not, it's not starting. There, it's not even responding at all. I'm like, that's weird. I mean, it, it's, a, every, it's a fairly new car. And I said, well, I'll call Rachel and have her come. Maybe the key fob is bad. So Rachel drives over. She stops her errand. She drives over with her mom. It was a hot day at the gas station. And she's there for a few minutes. She calls me. She's like, Troy, he's right. It, it's nothing. It's not the key fob. This thing is not responding at all. I was like, well, I don't know what to tell you. Call, call a tow truck. So the tow truck comes and the tow truck driver comes, he says hello to everybody and he gets the car ready. He gets in the car because you gotta get it ready to be towed. And all of a sudden, instantly, the car just starts. No problem at all. And, and Don, my buddy Don and Rachel, my wife are like, what happened? And he got out and he looked at Don and he said, well, you had it in drive the whole time. <laughs> you can't start a car in drive. And, and that's embarrassing enough, but, but then my mother-in-law, she, she's about 80 years old, she looks and says, well, that's embarrassing. That's, 
awesome, wasn't it? But here's the coup de grace. Here's where it gets its best. The tow truck driver, as he's getting ready to leave, he turns back to Don and he says, you know, I'm obligated to confiscate your man card now. And I'm like, yes, that's my tow truck driver, man. And see, I tell you this story for one reason. I had a dilemma, truly a dilemma. Because when my wife called and told me what had happened, I had two things that I could do with this information. Option number one is what I would like to call public mockery, okay? This would be where I would take the information about how he embarrassed himself and spread that out to as many of my friends as humanly possible. And to make sure that he, from that day forward, as long as we live, uh, will, can, I can use that to embarrass him in public. That's option one. Option two is what I call the grace option. And that, see, the word grace means unmerited favor, undeserved favor. Now, we all know that he deserved to be publicly mocked for this, right? But I could have simply given the grace option. And that means I take the information, I hold it to myself, and I let the story just fade into oblivion. I'm just curious, how many people in here would have chosen option one, public mockery and scorning? Quick show of hands. Yeah, yeah. How many people, the grace option? Well, if you picked option two, you were wrong. It's option one. But what I will tell you today, because that word grace comes in, if you picked option one, the sermon is probably for you. So grab your Bibles. We're gonna be in Romans chapter four. Romans chapter four, verse one. Let me catch you up. We at this church, what we do is we teach uh, in an expository style. That means we teach verse by verse because we think that when we do that, we believe if you keep the word in context, you can better understand what it means. So we're walking through Romans. We're in the fourth or fifth week. I guess it's the fourth week because uh, we're in chapter four. So we're walking through Romans each and every week. The first couple of chapters, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this, he's writing this to a group of Romans, the people that live in Rome, the Church of Rome, which would have been made up of Jewish people that had converted to Christianity and also Gentiles or non-Jewish people that were also Christians. So he's writing to them right now. The first couple of chapters, he's focusing, he's writing. Now, he would have written this for several reasons. If you read it at the beginning and at the end, he's clearly writing because he loves these people, and he's telling, I'm going to come visit you soon. I can't wait to get there. But after that, the first couple of chapters, he starts talking about God's wrath, okay? But then last week, what we see in chapter 3, he begins to start talking about more about God's hope. And what we saw last week is he used this word faith, faith, faith. He, what he said, and we learned last week in chapter 3, he says, we are saved by faith, not by works. We're saved by faith. Now, what are, what are we saved from is kind of the question. So what we believe, what I believe and we believe as a church body is that without a doubt that we believe that, that we are not just made up of flesh and, and, and this is not the end of us. We believe that it is evident in nature around us. It is evident in, in scripture. It is evident when we're sitting at home alone by ourselves that we know that we have a soul. And when the end of this body comes, that our soul lives for eternity. And what happens is when we go, our, body le our soul leaves this body, what happens is one of two things happens. We will live for eternity with God or we will be cast out into the darkness. So that's what we truly believe. And what Paul is doing here is Paul, in chapter 3, you have to forgive him as if he's a little bit redundant. 
Because he's going to hammer this point home. I need you to understand, he wasn't writing this on an email where they could respond or a text message where they could respond real quick. He's writing this on a piece of paper. He is 600 miles away. He's in Corinth. It's going to take weeks, if not months, for that piece of paper to get all the way to them, for them to read it, pass it around, write their questions, and send back to him. So what he's going to do is he's going to hammer this point home. Guys, this revelation, with the exception of Jesus himself, this revelation that we are saved by faith, and only faith, is the single most important revelation in the history of mankind. And so he's got a hammer at home. He's coming at it at every angle. And he knows, he's kind of like a lawyer that is constructing his case. He knows who the jury is. He knows who's going to be reading it. He knows the questions that they're going to have. And you're going to see him start to answer those questions before they even have a chance to ask it. And the best way that he does it is he knows that a bunch of those people are Jewish. And he knows how important their lineage and their history is. And so what he's going to do in chapter 4 is he's going to start out by talking about Abraham. Abraham is the first, right? He is the ultimate patriarch. He's the beginning of the Jewish people. And so he wants to address Abraham first. And that's where we pick up in chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? In other words, he's saying, what do we... What are we supposed to learn and, and gain from this guy, Abraham, that we all know, the, the, the physical man, Abraham, what is, what is for us to learn from him? He goes on to say this, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now, let me make sure you understand what the word works mean. The word works means to labor for God. That means to work for God. So let me read that again. He's saying, um, if he was justified by working for God, then he would have something to boast about. You see, the Jewish people, they thought of Abraham as some sort of supernatural, superhero person who labored for God. And much of that was exhibited by following Old Testament law. The Old Testament law, which was very important, a whole bunch of rules. But it wasn't just that. They, they thought that Abraham, they had been taught that he was a supernatural work doer, laboring for God. And, and Paul's saying, hey, look, if that's true, if that's true, well, given the benefit of the doubt, if he was standing here amongst us, he'd have something to brag about. But you know, it still doesn't work. Even that doesn't work before God. Because God is omnipotent, he's omniscient, he is holy, he is pure. And so that still wouldn't work before God. So look what he says next. The very next thing in verse 3, he says, for what does the scripture say? And he's going to quote a verse that they all would have known that comes all the way from the book of Genesis. And look at what he quotes. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. In fact, it couldn't have been the law. Him following the law wouldn't have worked, because the law is not given to the Jewish people for another five or six hundred years, so it couldn't have been following the law. And so he's using the scripture itself that he was counted righteous. Righteous means to be right with God. So he became right with God. Why? Because he believed. It's that simple. It's faith. Now, I like the word count in there. You see that word count? He said it was counted to him as righteous. That word counted, when you do the, the translation, um, it's, it's a, and I hate to, I hope nobody has like a seizure when I start talking about finance and accounting in case you took accounting in college. And so I apologize. But, but this word is like a, it's like a finance or an accounting term. Right? It's, um, it means to be credited. 
So let's just imagine you walk into the bank, if you've ever been there, you take some money into the bank and you give it to the person there. They would take your money and they would put it into your account. They would credit your account. And that means it's there for you. You can come in at any time you want to and you can pull money from it. That's called a debit. And so you can take money from your account at any point in time. And I think we kind of get our heads wrapped around that. A lot of times, if you have a bank account, you have two of them, right? You have a checking and you have a savings. And we also understand that. So today, I want to kind of flip it upside down. And I want you to think of the bank as sort of a spiritual bank, okay? And you have two accounts. The first one is what I'm going to call the salvation account. And the second one is called, I'm going to call it the eternity account. And you'll see what I'm going to talk about because Paul, in the next two verses, is going to talk about both of them. And he's going to start out with this, the eternity account. Here's what I mean. Let me read it. In verse 4, it says, now to the one who works, or labors for God, to the one who labors for God, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. What he's saying is, look, Paul's trying to make a point. Hey, works are not a bad thing. Works are really good. In fact, when we work, when we labor for God, we see it all through the Old Testament. When we labor for God, God says that he is going to, that we're going to have wages. We are going to be compensated for our labor. And, and that's called blessings. He's going to bless us. Now, what, what does labor look like for God? It can look like a lot of different things. We labor for God by volunteering in the children's ministry. We labor for God by working in the coffee ministry. We can labor for God by doing so many things in this church body. But we can also labor for God by being outside of this place, when you're in the workplace, pe treating people with respect and love and kindness, uh, going to visit someone in the hospital that is ill, taking care of, volunteering, let's say, at a pregnancy center, whatever it may be, we, there are many, a million ways that we can labor for God. And, and the Bible says that when we labor for Him, we're going to be compensated. He is going to bless us. There are wages to come our way. Sometimes, though, those, those blessings, those wages look very different. In some cases, we are blessed in eternity after we leave this body. We even see it in Galatians where Paul says that we should be storing up treasures in heaven where rust and moth are not going to destroy it. And so there are blessings, there are treasures that we are storing up for heaven, but there are many cases that we are blessed. We get those wages in the time in the world that we live in because eternity has already began if you are a believer in Christ. It began when you gave your life to Christ. And so those blessings can look different. In some cases, your obedience is blessed by God through maybe prosperity, maybe through a, a happy, healthy life, but not always. Sometimes those blessings, how God pays us our wages for laboring for the gospel, sometimes is in the form of the fruits of the, uh, the, fruits of the Spirit, things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, self-control. Sometimes when we labor for God, what God will do is it's, and I, I, I've been there, it's almost supernatural to some extent. I'll say it is supernatural. That somehow that there is a love in me that allows me to love somebody that I've never been able to love before. Or there is a peace that somehow settles on me that transcends the chaos around me and allows me to not be disturbed, to not be anxious about the world around me at all times. There are so many ways that God blesses us. And, 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 and I want to take you to Matthew chapter 2. I want you to hear from Jesus himself. 
In, in a different book, in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is going to tell a story. But before you do, let me give you the context. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. And there's this guy that comes up to him. He's, uh, we, we know him by the rich young ruler. He walks up and says, Jesus, what do I have to do to get to heaven? And I'm going to paraphrase this piece of it. He, Jesus says, he knows his heart. He knows where he's from. He says, you have to sell everything that you have and follow me. And, and the rich young ruler, he just couldn't do it. He couldn't give up his possessions, and so he walks away sad. And, and Jesus, at that point, seeing him walks away, he tells his disciples, he says, it's so hard for a rich person to make into heaven. It's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. The disciples are freaked out because their whole life, they had been taught this theology that if you were prosperous, it was because God was blessing you because you were right with God, very right with God. And, and so this is blowing their mind. And they said, well, then who can get to heaven? And Jesus says, well, no one on their own. It's only through God that you can be saved. But then they, they're like very human. And their response to that is, well, okay, well, 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 what about us? I mean, we have sacrificed everything for you, Jesus, everything. And you got to believe Jesus smiled a little bit. He turned to them and he told them, he said, don't worry. He said, you're going to sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel when I come into my kingdom. And he says, and all the other people that have sacrificed for my namesake, they too are going to receive more than a hundredfold what they sacrificed. And you got to imagine for a moment they felt good about themselves. But, but I want you to see what Jesus does. He launches into this parable to make sure they understand that how we are blessed isn't necessarily how we as humans would think about it. L look at this. Chapter 20, verse 1. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. I want to stop here. The, times never change. If you go to a Home Depot early in the morning or a Lowe's, a lot of times you will see day laborers hanging out there. Generally, it's immigrants that are hanging out just waiting for somebody to come by and say, I got a job, a fence to put in or whatever. That's exactly what's playing out here. And in those days, a denarius was the typical wage that you would pay a day laborer. And, and the day, a day's work was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's critically important, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And he agrees to send them out into the vineyard. And he goes on and says in verse 3, And going out about the third hour, now it's 9 a.m., he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give it to you. So he says, You go work, I'll, I'll settle up at the end of the day. I'm going to skip a few verses because uh, what happens is he keeps going back. He goes back at noon. He goes back at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He goes back at five o'clock in the afternoon, one hour before quitting time, and he keeps collecting people and tells them, go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is due you at the end of the day. That takes us down to verse eight. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. They only worked one hour, but they all got a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. These guys are going, 
that's not fair. That's not right. And guys, what I have to tell you is a lot of times that's how we deal with God. If, especially if you're here today and if you are a lifetime, long-time Christian, gone to church your whole life, you've given your life to Christ, there are, it seems to me that there are times when we live under God's blessing long enough, we get so numb to it that we start thinking that we possess it and that it is our right to decide who gets the blessings. And so we look left and we look right and we say, why? Why are they not having financial issues? Why are they not dealing with health issues? Why? Why is that the case? These people were mad at the master and look what the master says in return to him. He says in verse 13, he says, but he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? So take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this to the last worker as I give it to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? He's telling them, look, I gave you exactly what I promised you. You worked, I gave you your wages for it. I blessed you with that. So why are you angry with me? Because I choose to be generous with somebody else. Why are you, why are you like that? It is my rewards to give. And, and we gotta get our heads wrapped around that as well. It, it's almost like um, being a parent of multiple children. How many people here have more than one child? Quick show of hands. We've got more than one child. Awesome, I see you all. Um, here, here's the deal. If you are a parent, the word fairness is simply an interesting concept <laughs> at best. And here's what I mean by that. Um, we were not, as parents, called to be fair. We were called to release into the world young men and young women that are spiritually healthy and sound. We are called to, to release into the world young men and women that are mentally sound, mentally healthy, physically sound, physically healthy, so that they can take on the world and so they can fulfill their purpose. And the purpose for each and every one of us is to further the kingdom of God. That is what our call is. Our call is not to be fair. I tell parents all the time, stop it with your fairness because some of your kids need more nurturing than others. Someone, some need more discipline than others. Some need more other things than others. And it's the same way, if you are in here and you are a believer in Christ, that means you are called a son, a daughter of Christ. You are his child. And he looks at us and he knows our needs. He knows when we need discipline. He knows what blessings is important for us in the life we live and the purpose that he has for us. We simply have got to quit looking at the blessings around us and getting distracted. We've got to focus on the one giving the blessings and settle in the fact that we are blessed at all. This whole thing is the eternity account. He's talking about the eternity account. You work for God, you labor, and, and you will be compensated for it. Your, your, your eternity account will be credited. But, but remember, there was a second account. It was that salvation account. And that is so critical. I want to read that in verse 5. It says to the, he says this, he says, and to the one who does not work, so they're not working, they're not laboring for God, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. In other words, believes in God. His faith is counted as righteous. You see in your salvation account, here's the way it works. The salvation account accepts one deposit and only one deposit. 
When you put your faith in God, you deposit your faith in God, the Bible says that that deposit goes in and nothing will ever debit it. Nobody can come in and take it away. Nobody can ever strip it away. And what happens is when we deposit our faith in God, that means our soul is tattooed because the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us and we are connected and it is supernaturally connected to us for all eternity, no matter what. And when this life is done, we will live for eternity with God in heaven. And there is no ifs, ands, or buts. It's a beautiful concept. And all it takes is faith. Paul, at this point, he's been talking the whole time about how. How can a person be saved? And now he needs to shift. He's going to shift and he's going to, because he knows his audience. And so he shifts and he wants to talk about who can be saved. Because it's a big question in those days in the church. And look at this, the very next verse, he says this in, in verse 9. He says, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also the uncircumcised? And guys, I get it. If you have not been around church for a long time, and even if you have, just reading the words is uncomfortable. I get it, all right? And you might be asking yourself, if you've never been around church a long time, why is that word so prominent all over the place? Well, let me explain. You see, the, the, the circumcision, um, it was a ritual that was commanded by God and it first came to Abraham and then it passed down throughout the Israelites. In fact, the, the Jewish people back in the day, they would actually, when they talked about themselves as a people group, they would oftentimes just call themselves as the circumcised, the circumcision. That's what they would, how they would call themselves. And the reason they did that, it was so important to them is because this ritual, it was more than just a ritual, right? This ritual, it was... It was a badge of honor for them. It was symbolic of the fact that they were God's people. Not just God's people, but, but it was very personal. It was, it was even painful. It was absolutely a badge of honor. And so when, when you read this verse and you see him say, is this blessing for the circumcised or the uncircumcised? Another way to read this is, is this blessing just for the Jews or is it also for the Gentiles? Is it for both? Who can be saved? And he answers that question. Remember, he asks and answers his own questions. And he says this, for we say that faith was accounted to Abraham as righteous. Once again, we covered that. Abraham is righteous. He is right with God because of his faith. In verse 10, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? So when did it happen? Listen, he says, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. So I'll make sure you understand. He's saying, look, if you go back into Genesis and see the timeline of events, God calls Abraham righteous years before the ritual of circumcision is ever commanded. See, the ritual of circumcision was a, a symbolic, it was a, a physical representation. It was a reminder of a faith that Abraham had in his heart. The ritual itself is amazing, but the ritual itself didn't save him. You know, um, there's a lot of married people in here, I understand, I, I can imagine. Uh, when I got married, in most Western cultures, when you get married and you're standing up there, you have the exchange of the rings, and I, I have mine on today. Um, and uh, hopefully you guys, it's not all cultures, but most Western cultures. Um, how many people here have lost your wedding ring? It's okay, put it up. It's embarrassing, isn't it? It's actually quite embarrassing. Uh, and it's actually painful when you go home and you tell your spouse that you lost your wedding ring. It's not good. Um, for me, 
I was younger and much skinnier back in the day. And so cold weather would make my hands get small and my fingers get small. And so when it would get cold, my, my, my ring would like almost fall off of my hand. And so I would take it and I would put it in my pocket from time to time if I was doing stuff. And I went to the gym one day and I had it in my pocket and it fell out of my pocket and I lost it. Now, when I walked out of that gym, I was no less married than when I walked into the gym. My commitment to my wife in front of friends and family and God held exactly the same. The ring didn't create the commitment. And, and what I will tell you is this, it's the same way with all the other rituals in our life, right? In this church body, we have other rituals. We come together as a body of believers. It's beautiful, it's commanded by God, it's awesome. We come together um, for, with communion. It's beautiful, commanded by God. It's, it's an amazing thing. We do baptisms, commanded by God, it's beautiful. But guys, they're rituals. And without faith, those rituals are an absolute waste. And what Paul is saying here is, guys, stop focusing on the ritual. He's saying salvation is for everybody, the Jews and the Gentiles. And what I wanna do with the time that we have remaining is I wanna take you all the way down to verse 16 because I think it's critically important for you to get this. In verse 16, it says this, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise that salvation may rest on grace and be guaranteed for us all. Paul has been saying faith, 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 over and over again. We are saved by faith, we are saved by faith, we are saved by faith. And now he throws in this extra word grace Remember, the word grace means unmerited favor, undeserved favor. You don't deserve it, but God's gonna bless you with it. That's what grace means. And so he's saying, look, it, 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 and what he said right there, that salvation, it rests on grace. Because 100%, when you deposit your faith in your salvation account, when you deposit your faith, you are saved, but it is God's grace that allows that to take place in the first place. It is God's grace that allows you to walk into the bank at all and put your faith in him. You see, the Bible says that every single person in here, man, woman, and child, whether you're in here, you're in the coffee uh, room, or if you're online, every man, woman, and child, we have fallen short of God's plan for us. We have all sinned. We've, the, the word sin literally means to miss the mark. We have all sinned. And because of that, because we missed the mark, that means the Bible says that we can no longer commune. We cannot be connected to God because he is holy and pure. He cannot be in the presence of sin. And so for our sin, we deserve death. We gotta be really careful saying, God, give me what I deserve. <laughs> really careful. And because we deserve death, God loved us so much that he told his son, Jesus, he said, step out of heaven, step off of your throne, wrap yourself in flesh, walk around for 33 years in this dusty little town called Israel, live a perfect sinless life, teach amazing, amazing things to the people about who I am and my nature and my character. And despite that, at the end of 33 years, I want you to surrender yourself to be arrested, beaten, tortured, whipped, hung on a cross, bloodshed, body broken, until you die and then have them shove you in a tomb and then three days later, you're gonna rise again. 
That is the ultimate grace, the ultimate undeserved favor. And the Bible says what God says, Jesus' own words are this, if you will believe in your heart, in me, and you'll confess with your mouth that you will be saved, that is the deposit that you can give. And at that point, you're saved for all of eternity. And when that happens, when that happens, then we are called to labor for God, labor for the gospel. And when that happens, you'll begin to see a change in your life. Uh, uh, it's not gonna be magical. It doesn't mean your, your, your health issues are all gonna go away. It doesn't mean you're suddenly gonna be rich. But what you'll see is a transforming of the mind that allows us to serve God's kingdom and to further it into the next generation and beyond. If you are here today and maybe you have never in your life stopped for a moment and said, you know what, God, I truly believe in you. You don't even know what all this story is and you're confused by all the words. And I get it, it's a, it's a lot of words up there today. But today, right where you sit, the Bible says, Jesus says, if you will believe in your hearts, that he will save you. So you guys do me a favor. Will you just bow your heads and close your eyes for just one moment? Right where you sit. First, I want to talk to people here um, that are already believers, maybe lifetime, long-time believers, and maybe you've gotten to the point in your life where you are so focused on the blessings of people around <laughs> that you've quit focusing on the one who blesses you. And that maybe resentment and anger has started to seep in. I want to encourage you today to go to God and say, God, clear my mind. Let me just rest in the fact that I am yours and your grace is upon me. Or maybe if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, I wanna give you an opportunity right where you sit in the silence of the seat that you're in, give you the opportunity to go to God and just say, God, I, um, I don't understand the whole plan. I don't understand your word fully, but I know today something's knocking on my heart. And so today I'm gonna give my life to you. I'm gonna commit my life to you. And I'm gonna ask you, God, to come into my life and save me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for the fact that you've given us the opportunity. Your saving grace is upon us. Thank you for making it so simple. And God, I pray before anyone leaves here today, God, they will have an opportunity to fulfill your mission for them. And that is to be a son, an heir, a daughter, an heir to the throne. It is in your son's name we pray.